A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Stephen. And I'm Alpha. And on this week's New Statesman podcast, we talk about the North Shropshire by-election and its political consequences. We are speaking on the eve. Not on the eve. We are speaking on the morning. <laughs> I'm really busy just to capture how sleep-deprived you are, Stephen. <laughs> We are speaking on the morning. Um, do you know who I blame for how sleep deprived I am? Uh, it's actually it's um it's Ben Walker. Uh, ben Walker, our our excellent colleague and occasional uh, podcast um, appearer, did an excellent stream on Twitch, which yeah was very informative. Yeah, great great viewing. Really you know really interesting. But it's why I didn't sleep, uh, and that's why I'm I'm disintegrating for our listeners' very ears. But um, <laughs> last night, the Liberal Democrats had a famous, well, yeah, what will go down history as a famous uh, by-election victory. Morgan, Helen Margaret Lillian, Liberal Democrats, 17,957. Uh, sort of regardless of, of whether it has any long-term political consequences. Um, the second largest... Uh, Conservative to Lib Dem by-election swing, the seventh largest by-election swing in general, in um, a seat which I mean, well, Alva, you you were there. I mean, talk about you know how mm. inhospitable this was territory-wise. Oh, this is just fascinating, isn't it? It's such a good morning to do a podcast, even if you're exhausted, Stephen, and I have COVID. <laughs> it's still it's still you know a great day to do a podcast. Yeah, I'm I've I did a blog this morning about th- this result because. As you say, I was there on Monday. My last outing before self-isolation <laughs> was to the rolling hills and market towns of North Shropshire. And um, I think that this is just so fascinating because the the obvious point of comparison is Cheshire and Amersham in June, right? Um, where the Liberal Democrats also took a seat from the Conservatives. We were speaking after my visit on Monday. And I think I said to you, Stephen, that um, North Shropshire is no Chesham and Amersham, and I still really think that. I'm I'm just really struck. I think this is more significant because, in a way, no offence to the Liberal Democrats, they weren't really offering very much in the seat. And you know, these the, this was you know a place where the electorate you know really didn't have very much in common politically with the Liberal Democrats. Um, so you know, I, I felt basically every voter I met when I was there. I was a lifelong conservative voter or certainly had voted conservative in 2019 and you know sort of you know business owners who aren't very into paying high taxes 
or traditional farming families, traditional service families, um, lots of kind of like quite anti-immigration voters on doorsteps. People, you know, with, with not very much in common politically with the Liberal Democrats, but they were all sort of swinging behind them because the, the main issue on the doorstep was just the Downing Street Christmas party. It came up again and again and again. And issues with Owen Patterson, the former MP who stood down there because he broke the lobbying rules and that precipitated this big crisis for Boris Johnson. It means that this is a sort of purer referendum on Boris Johnson than maybe people even realise because I don't think it's like Cheshire and Amersham where people were, uh, you had a sense that yes, this was midterm and people were annoyed with Boris Johnson. And, but, but there were other things at play like frustrations over HS2, there were other local issues and there was a sort of sense of sort of realignment in British politics. This was a Remain constituency and these metropolitan Remain voters were kind of switching to the Liberal Democrats, their sort of more natural home now. But that's just not the case. In in North Shropshire, you could tell that these are sort of natural conservatives who are just really frustrated with the government. Yeah, this this the thing I, I think is 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 really striking, right? Is that um like although in many ways this by election is exactly the story of all of the by elections we've seen this parliament so far, right? Um and actually really quite efficient opposition vote. So Labour have been second in this seat, you know, in seven out of the last eight uh, eight contests. But like mm. that is not because like Labour have worked it particularly hard, right? And it's been a very very distant second. Mm. But it is nonetheless really striking that the Lib Dems, um, working it hard, were able to get the Labour vote to to halve. Just as it is really striking that um, in Hartlepool, a by election in which you know, I mean, we we talked enough about the deficiencies of that campaign at the time, but one in which like they literally did everything wrong, Labour, than it was possible to do other than they were able to squeeze the Lib Dem and the Green vote down to the brass tacks. And, you know, I think Lib Dem percentage shares in by-elections this parliament tell a really fascinating story. Close to 60% in Amersham, 3% in Batley, Batley and Spen, 3% in Bexley and Sidcar, and then, you know, crack, close to or cracking 40% um, in, like, a seat which could have been built in a lab to be a safe Conservative seat. Obviously, I w- will do a big post-mortem on things I think I... I got wrong this year uh, as the end of the year, as, is, as per usual. But I think one of the things that I realise realize I should have paid more attention to is just how appalling the kind of letters page of the Farmer's Guardian, the recent survey in Farmer's Weekly about um, you know how farmers feel about this government have been. And I think unlike these trade deals and this kind of um, horrendous world for farmers that we seem to be heading to of uh, we've made it much harder for you to sell into the single market, but we're making it a lot easier for um, uh, people from around the world to sell into the UK is clearly going to be a problem for them. Obviously, I don't think it's going to be a problem on the scale of what it is now. Right? By-elections are more hostile environments to the governing party than regular elections are for a variety of reasons that need not detain us. But um, but that obviously is going to be a bit of a problem. It's obviously a huge problem for Boris Johnson in the short term because it will increase the kind of bad air and general febrile mood in the Conservative Parliamentary uh, Party. I should make it clear that the banging is not that um, uh, we're having a loud party to celebrate the, the Lib Dems going from 12 to 13. In, in great COVID timing, uh, our bathroom is, is, is being done. <laughs> we're getting the, the full Stephen Bush at home experience. 
yeah, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm rapidly starting to transform into one of those. Everyone should go back into the office, just in a kind of like you know, wearing a mask in one's own home is really not the one. Um. <laughs> um, come, I. Can we come on to what this means for Boris Johnson in a second? But just picking up on something you were saying a minute ago, I think that the way the quote unquote progressive vote or the anti conservative vote organized itself in North Shropshire is really interesting because we've been saying a lot on this podcast that in all of the by elections, even in Hartlepool, where everything else went wrong, the, the sort of the anti conservative vote. Has, has been organising itself quite efficiently behind the main challenger, um, which maybe is in part because of the, the change of leadership from Jeremy Corbyn to Keir Starmer, which means that certainly um, in places like Hartlepool, where there was a Labour candidate, um, Lib Dem voters felt more able to back the Labour candidate under Keir Starmer than they would have been under Jeremy Corbyn. Um, but it's interesting that even though that has been working quite well in Hartlepool, in Cheshire and Amersham, in Batley and Spetton, there was basically more beef over over this one than there has been in other places. So that was one of the things that I kind of enjoyed about my trip to North Shropshire, that there was quite a lot of bad blood between the Liberal Democrats and Labour over who should be considered the main challenger, um, in that the Liberal Democrats are making the case that they were the main challengers. I think they've been proven right, given that they did quite literally win. Um, but Labour on the ground uh, were keen to point out that they were the ones who came second um, in the seat in 2019 and really weren't letting go. Um, and, and were, you know, sort of saying that the Liberal Democrats are not a progressive party, um, that politically there were huge differences between them and the Liberal Democrat candidate, Helen Morgan. And um, also they were kind of critical of the nature of the um, Liberal Democrat campaign, which was quite a straightforward vote for us. We're the main challengers and we're the, we're the most effective protest vote rather than a sort of issues based campaign, even though I know that we'll have Liberal Democrats writing in to say that they actually they did mention hospitals and, and GP waiting times in their campaign. But it was mainly just a please vote for us because we're the main protest vote. But basically that that beef <laughs> and like the, the really obvious bad blood between the two camps doesn't seem to have filtered through into how people voted. And I think that's quite interesting because it's a sort of it's a story of a difference between Labour on the ground and Labour on a national level or the leadership of Labour. So um BDI'd podcast listeners will have noticed that earlier in the week the Labour MP Yasmin Qureshi said in a radio interview, I'm going to quote, let's Labour are never going to win North Shropshire. The Lib Dems do have an opportunity to do so. And I have had it sort of suggested by multiple people that this was kind of, this was quite deliberate comment from um, a, a former frontbencher who's sort of plausibly distant, like, distant enough from the Labour leadership for it to not look like it's the Labour leadership itself saying this but I think it's really quite possible that she was told to say that by Keir Starmer and his team um, but with enough sort of plausible deniability sort of a, lib- a Liberal Democrat was pointing out that in the days of the Entente Cordiale between Tony Blair and Paddy Ashton it was um, a regular tactic that both parties used that 
you would have someone with with enough plausible distance from the leadership um, to signal to voters how they should be voting in a particular city. And I think that's maybe what was going on with the Yasmin Qureshi comment, even though equally it could have just been her own instinct on this. But I think that just seems um, like a little bit too much of a coincidence. So it seems like even aside from that comment, it's quite clear that Labour on a national level did want the Liberal Democrats to win here and were you know, keen not to make too much of a fuss here and to leave them to it. But on a local level, the candidate and his team didn't really want to let go. I think that's just so interesting. And ultimately, voters were able to look at the lay of the land themselves and, and decide where, where they should best place their tactical vote. The, the Labour story in this by-election is fascinating because... I have no idea if if, if Yasmin Qureshi was 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 uh, engaging in uh, leader's office licensed freelancing in that interview, but it is definitely true to say that some Labour MPs have been engaging in leader's office licensed freelancing to go. There is more chance of us winning representation on the moon. Yada yada mm. yada. Keir Starmer did uh, an interview uh, with Francis Elliott over at the I, in which he basically went, "Yeah, lol, that ain't, that that's not going to happen." You know, like that's really a Lib Dem a Lib Dem issue. But one of the things I think is is very striking is that. While Old Bexley and Sidcup and North Shropshire were were running concurrently, as it were, there was pretty obviously a non-aggression pact, and you can just see that just from like the leaders' visits. You know, you know, I'm pretty sure Ed Davey didn't go to Old Bexley and Sidcup. Keir Starmer hasn't gone to um, North Shropshire, and indeed in Batley and Spen, and indeed in Hartlepool, although the Liberal Democrats did campaign a bit in Hartlepool, they very specifically focused on trying to win back voters who had been Lib Dem 2001-2004 when they came fairly close to winning the seat, who have since turned to UKIP since the Brexit party and might have gone Tory. Uh, but they were very consciously staying out of their, their strong areas now in Hartlepool. And of course, in, um, you know, in, in Batley and Spen, they basically did a like, hey, Voters in in our council wards, uh, we do exist, but uh, goodbye. Yeah, and, and I think they would say that that they were just focusing on conservative facing areas of Batley and Spen. So they they were sort of conscious of basically helping Labour out by taking some conservative votes away from the Tories, but then like not canvassing in in Old Bexley at all and giving Labour a straight shot at that. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that. Clearly, something happened in the Labour Party, uh, which, you know, I hope to get to the, get to the bottom of. Something shifted internally in the Labour Party in the last week because you suddenly had, you know, people like Luke Akehurst, a uh, member of uh, Labour's ruling national mm. executive, uh, you know, long established presence on, on what we think of as like the old Labour right. So the kind of like pre-new Labour sort of, you know, that kind of like, tradition of, of of the Labour Party, yeah, basically doing the no quarter to the Lib Dems, you know, like Greens are food, not friends. Yeah, that kind of thing. They were always going to get a kind of morale boosting. The deputy leader is here. The deputy leader has taken a photo op, right? You know, they, they had a wraparound advert in the Shropshire Star, you know, where they paid for the, the, the front page. There was a sudden in the last week kind of, hey, uh, the Labour Party does exist here campaign. Mm-hmm. Now, while at the same time as that, whenever you would speak to um, anyone, um, you know, shall we say, le- Labour leadership adjacent, um, like 
they would have they were just going no of course we're not going to win it and you know there's a reason why i haven't gone down and etc cetera, etc cetera, and all of that kind of thing and other than angela Rayner going down because you know if you're the deputy leader of the Labour party and you don't like go down to like give the activists a bit of a philip in a by-election like that is a paper campaign in a labor context but clearly something happened whether it's just that when the postal votes came in they went oh lads it looks like the lib dems aren't going to either aren't going to get this or are going to get this and therefore we should just like do a kind of final like save the deposit don't embarrass ourselves we do totally exist or they went the lib dems haven't won it and we don't really want to have a situation in which like the lib dems have failed to win it and we've also lost our deposit so let's like you know launch operation save our deposit but i suspect actually some of it was actually just the kind of tactical and ideological splits within labor between the kind of the various people who are really, really anti-coalition for one reason or another, whether that is, you know, some people on the Labour left who I think rightly actually do think it is sort of madness that there are people in the Labour Party who have convinced themselves that um, a Keir Starmer government alone would be uh, more right wing than a Keir Starmer uh, government in coalition uh, with their Davy and the Liberal Democrats. It would also be less authoritarian, but like in terms of economic left-right position, that is a, a lunatic political calculation. Then you have people like Luke Akehurst, other people on the right of the Labour Party who are you know, much more of the kind of like, you know, we need a strong Labour government, which I think actually the we need a strong Labour government is, is closer to Keir Starmer's actual politics and instincts. But of course, the decision his leadership has taken quite visibly is to soft pedal in this um, by-election. But something clearly did change in Labour in the last couple of, of days. And the problem with, um, with you know, this era of self-isolation is that, um, as well as the fact that I live in a building site, isn't it's much harder to have like the, the discrete conversation where you go to people, hey, what's up with that? But I hope we will be able to, in later episodes, be like, so here's what was up with that. I'm glad that you picked up on that too, Stephen, because I thought it was striking that, well, I, I actually did think it was striking that Angela Rayner was up there and also Barry Gardner and Lisa Dodds. There were just some quite, I thought, quite strongly worded tweets from people like Wes Streeting talking about how Labour came second there in 2019 and that they were the main challengers and so on. I, I did think that that was quite interesting I should also say, just because I, I nearly tweeted about this, I'm, I'm not petty enough to, but I'm going to throw it in, in the podcast just to see if they notice. I thought that some of the people in the Labour campaign on the ground in North Shropshire, not the candidate himself, but some other people, were um, frankly incredibly misogynistic about Helen Morgan, the Liberal Democrat candidate. I think that maybe there was there was some quite like nasty tribal stuff going on that I was very much not impressed by. I didn't put any of their nasty briefing in my piece. <laughs> um, I'm just saying like 22 minutes into the podcast that I noticed it and was not impressed but I think that there was maybe also a feeling from the Labour candidate Ben Wood who's been described as a young Tony Blair <laughs> by some people it was interesting speaking to him I think his analysis is sort of not wrong but in a way it would make more sense for Labour to be winning in somewhere like North Shropshire than the Liberal Democrat. I mean, I was just really struck on the doorstep. I've, I've written this in a, in a blog for the website today. I was really struck when I went um, door knocking with the former Lib Dem leader, Tim Farron, that um, a lot of voters on, on the doorsteps was, was sort of saying, you know, that they had voted for Brexit, that they still want Brexit, you know, they still want to get Brexit done. They're sick of all these immigrants coming in and so on. And um, Tim Farron was just sort of nodding politely and made... Um, passing reference at one point to how 
you know, you'll, you'll never get an MP that you agree with on everything, <laughs> which I think was his way of acknowledging to the journalist in his presence that this um, voter, and he clearly didn't agree on anything apart from wanting to remove the Conservative MP. Um, I was just really struck that there, there wasn't really common cause between voters in North Shropshire and the Liberal Democrats on very many things. And I'm not saying that that, um, that that voter would necessarily have agreed with Labour on immigration either. But even in terms of the sort of the economic arguments that voter was making, it, it seemed like a more natural fit for him to be voting reform or um, Labour. But I think that the, the Liberal Democrats passed themselves so perfectly as the main um, opposition in this seat that they swept up all of those votes anyway from people that they have like nothing in common with and I think that that was just really frustrating for Labour because I think they felt like they were actually um, identifying local issues that people cared about fighting a campaign based on a diagnosis of what that constituency needed whereas the Liberal Democrats they have Helen Morgan's leadership in front of me and to be fair point number one is about fighting for Shropshire's GP and ambulance services but points two and three, um, a full-time local champion for North Shropshire. And then point three, listening to residents, not taking them for granted. It's really like the, the main Lib Dem pitch was just we're local and we're not conservative. Um, and that was sort of that was sort of all they needed. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to the New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. If you're enjoying the New Statesman podcast, you might also like the New Statesman's international news podcast, World Review, which is now published twice weekly. Here's our US editor, Emily Tamkin, to tell you more. Thanks, Anoush. That's right. Every Thursday, we unpack the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Make sure you never miss an episode. Just search World Review in your podcast app and subscribe. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And now it's time for a section we like to call... You Ask Her. Stephen is sounding more cranky for part two. It's because um, the, the noises coming from your bathroom renovation were so loud that um, the poor man is now standing on his balcony <laughs> to record yeah. this. I'm really regretting going for the cool, sleek, metallic outer shell of this of this computer because, yeah, I'm wearing uh, a hoodie, some thermals, a cardigan, jacket, 
a suit blazer. Really, the only bit of me that's exposed to the elements are the fact that I'm holding this now quite cold laptop in my hand and slightly concerned that I may, in fact, never be able to let go of this laptop again. But yeah, that's if I sound irritable, it's not because I hate this question. It's a very good question, which is, you know, what does it mean for Boris Johnson's future? And what are the uh, various sort of ideological factions in the Tory party that the various candidates will be competing over and for. So yeah, I think that's a great question. Yeah, what do you think it means for Boris Johnson's future? The thing is, even if the Conservatives had won narrowly in North Shropshire, that would have been very bad for the Conservatives and hugely damning on Boris Johnson. And I think people can tell based off everything we said in the first part of this podcast that This really was just a straight referendum among loyal Conservative voters for the most part on Boris Johnson's leadership and on the Conservative Party. So I think the fact that he didn't manage to hold on here, even though governments often lose in midterm, I think it is just like really damning and puts him on very shaky ground. Even before the result, Conservative MPs were saying that he would be toast if if they lost in North Shropshire. I think that maybe the slightly unexpected thing I would say about that, having been there on Monday, is actually, I think it's a bit more complicated than it being about Boris Johnson. From speaking to lots and lots of Conservative voters, I was surprised that people were simultaneously very annoyed about the Downing Street Christmas parties, mentioning Boris Johnson hosting them while everyone else was was obeying the rules talking about all these three scandals and one rule for one rule for them one rule for us but it it manifested more as frustration with the conservatives in general than Boris Johnson in particular there was one guy Mark Mark in Wem was saying no offense to he said I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find the exact quote but he's he basically said no disrespect to Boris but he's a buffoon and he's, he was obviously going to make mistakes. It's the wider sleaze I care about and the way Owen Patterson did nothing for me. And I was surprised that came up quite a bit, that people um, were saying that they felt sorry for Boris Johnson, that they liked him. And yet they were still very angry about all of the wider scandals. And my view is that if you're annoyed about those scandals, probably the, the person most responsible for them is Boris Johnson. But it didn't seem like that was how voters were seeing it. And actually, the problem that the Conservatives have, I think, is that this these scandals are really damaging them. But it's not a problem that's isolated to Boris Johnson. I think it is tarnishing the Conservative brand. And weirdly, it felt to me, speaking to voters in North Shropshire, that Boris Johnson is coming out better from these scandals than the Conservative Party as a whole, which leaves him in a really tricky position. I don't know if necessarily removing Boris Johnson fixes this reputational damage that they're going through at the moment. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So I um, sat in on some focus group, zoomed in on some focus groups done by the uh, campaign organisation More In Common last week. And one of the things I was really struck by is that the participants kept referring to it as a party in which they had cheese and champagne, as opposed mm. to what you said in cheese and wine, which like which obviously like speaks to like the really deep seated fears and anxieties people have about the Conservative Party it being out for itself, all of that kind of stuff. And I do think that does speak to the problem where you say that they like, essentially there's the kind of two issues here. There is the specific brand damage done to them by this particular Prime Minister and the fact that like, yeah, there's been COVID, but but it's not like COVID 
happening has meant that there's been like loads of really significant parliamentary legislation that has been passing and it would have otherwise changed the country. All of the other legislation is basically stuff designed to put Labour in a bit of a bind. Like they have this draconian bill, which it does a lot of awful, it in theory would do a lot of awful things. But seeing as broadly like they have this problem that like the state is, is just so knackered after years of spending cuts that, you know, you pull a lever and nothing happened. In reality, most of this bill is, hey, here's a bill that talks about how we're tough on crime to distract from the fact we can't actually enforce any of this stuff. Like loads of those problems are Boris specific. But I do think actually that the Boris loyalists are saying he's still like an asset to us. He gives us a sense of freshness and we otherwise wouldn't have. We would just look tired and clapped out without him is probably also true. However, that doesn't mean that they won't if the local elections are bad, go let flip the dice. Because I think one of the the really interesting thing about this by-election is there are a couple of ways to read what it means for the Liberal Democrats specifically. Because in some ways, this is a very, it's a very good Liberal Democrat traditional by-election performance. But in some ways, this is a very traditional Liberal Democrat by-election performance. You have somewhere where, okay, yeah, they were usually second, but not in a meaningful way, right? Yeah, like, you have somewhere where there has been no clear uh, alternative in which they rock up and essentially their whole campaign is a noun, a verb, and did we mention them, the other candidates, not local. You know, kind of, you know, pavement politics, flood the zone, work it really hard, squeeze the other uh, progressive parties and then take a big, you know, take a chunk out of the Tory vote. Now, of course, it, it mattered that the Tory vote was receptive to having a chunk taken out of it. But, you know, one, one Conservative MP texted me last night saying, so the Lib Dems are, they said the old Lib Dems are back. And they said, and then they said, and this I think is the striking thing, he said, that means the old conservatives can come back too. I, if you're a conservative who's been looking at like these policies you don't like, looking at your current electoral coalition and going, I guess this is all there is. Suddenly you think, look, if the Lib Dems can like go back to being, you know, you know, the party to all people and no people, these kind of by-election pavement artists who are a bit opportunistic and they aren't just stuck being a party for liberal yuppies in, in nice bits of London and upscale places with delis, then maybe the Conservative Party can go back to what lots of their MPs would probably secretly like to go back to, which is being a socially liberal Thatcherite party again. I don't necessarily think that, that reading is right, but I do, I, I, I put it this morning to a couple of Conservative MPs, and I was struck that they did not reject it out of hand and went, yeah, I think there's some, yeah, there's some truth in that. And of course, if you think, and you don't need to, things, Conservative MPs don't need to be right in thinking that this shows that the old David Cameron coalition, which did allow them to, you know, that was a much more radically right-wing government than this one. They don't have to be right in thinking that they can recreate that coalition. They just need to think that they are able to recreate it for Boris Johnson to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because there are different... There are different problems all overlapping, as you say, like within the Conservative Parliamentary Party and the Conservative base or the Conservative membership, certainly. There's a real feeling that Boris Johnson isn't really doing the things that they would like him to do, that they don't actually believe in his project insofar as one exists. That was coming through even when things were going quite well at Tory conference. But then in that sense, this is maybe an opportunity for the Conservative Parliamentary Party to shift things back onto a political terrain that they would be happier with. But that's not necessarily what the electorate wants. And I was just very struck in North Shropshire that I'm not sure if removing Boris Johnson would fix the problem for the Conservatives. 
And it's this funny paradox where like, they've been having these scandals basically because of Boris Johnson, because of calls made by him and his team in number 10, some completely unforced errors, like the way they responded to the Owen Patterson scandal, the culture in number 10 around around adherence or otherwise to lockdown within Downing Street while various restrictions were in place, a failure to declare donations, things like that. But yet it seems like it's the Conservative Party in general that's being tarnished by it. And I've just really, this is why visiting visiting seats during a by-election campaign is just so interesting because I don't think it would have occurred to me otherwise that voters are very aware and, and outraged by all these scandals, but they're more forgiving of Boris Johnson for for them than they are the Conservative Party in general. So I think you could be left in a position where you you look at a result like this and at the low ebb that the Conservatives have got to under Boris Johnson and Tory MPs think, well, we have to remove him. And all you have then is a new face presiding over this scandal stricken party that's seen as out of touch and out for itself and even if that new leader if it's Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss even if they don't preside over any more scandals I feel like that perception as you say cheese and champagne not even what Allegra Stratton said because it was cheese and wine this, this perception of the Tories as the cheese and champagne party I think could stick for a lot longer but they'll have a leader that they that voters aren't as forgiving of yeah, I think this is the other um, significant thing for him and therefore, of course, for all of us, though, is that because he is in a weakened state, and even though we can see, and it suddenly occurs to me that having traded the warmth and the drilling of inside to my balcony, then the, the noise that you often hear, but thankfully haven't today, is ambulances. And it is starting to sound a bit like March 2020 again. Now... Of course, if that happens across the country and you have a situation in which NHS capacity looks like it's going to collapse, I still don't think that Boris Johnson would be able to do another lockdown without causing a sort of huge row within the Tory party. And at the moment, I think he probably feels too weak to have a huge row within the Tory party. So this by-election, I think, is going to have quite important consequences for how far he feels he can go if it turns out that a micron because we, we can tell that it spreads more. We can tell it's probably less severe, even though you're more likely to get it. What we can't tell is what that means for hospitalizations ultimately when you have a population of our size and it's doubling every day, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's a by-election with big consequences for Boris Johnson and quite potentially big consequences for all of us at home. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, and our political correspondent, Alva Ray. It's produced and recorded by May Robson. Our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons.